Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Early voting numbers are in for New York, and they are low. But as the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, turnout varied depending on where some competitive races were held. According to numbers released by the New York State Board of Elections, just over 3% of voters cast their ballots during early voting, which ended Sunday. The board's Kathleen McGrath says that number is about the same as previous off-year elections that feature only local races. Early voting unofficially, uh, we we had just shy of 400,000 early voters in New York State over the nine days of early voting. Um, That is somewhat on par with 2021, the last odd year where there was just about 409,000. In counties where there are competitive races like Albany, Erie, Ulster, and Columbia, the early voter turnout ranged from 5.5% to over 7.5%. Susan Lerner is with Common Cause, a government reform group that championed early voting. She says when voters perceive that there's something at stake, they will appear at the polls. People are very responsive to the uh, importance they place on their vote in a particular race. We see this over and over again, that if there is a competitive race in which voters are very interested, more people will vote. It's pretty simple. Lerner says she does wish, though, that turnout rates, even in years with fewer races, were higher. But she says early voting can play an important role in fixing any glitches in the system. And we have examples of how that actually helps solve problems before we get to election day. We have one county that had a problem with their electronic poll books on the first day of early voting. Voting started uh, approximately what I understand 45 minutes late in that county, but they're able to solve the problems. With next year being a presidential election year, early voting and election day voting rates are expected to be much higher. In New York, U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's seat will be up for election, as well as all 26 U.S. congressional seats and all state Senate and Assembly posts. In addition, voters will have another option beginning next year. A new law expands the state's limited absentee balloting to now allow nearly anyone to request a mail-in ballot. Lerner with Common Cause says she hopes that the change will increase voter participation. Vote by mail, I think, is going to make a very significant difference for a lot of voters, having that option um, to allow them to figure out how it's best and most convenient for them to vote. So that's a big change. The State Board of Elections McGrath says staff are already preparing for mail-in voting, which will begin with the presidential primary in April. The exact procedures of how that will work are still being finalized, but will very closely mirror um, absentee in terms of application and uh, submitting the ballot. The mail-in balloting law is being challenged in court, though. A lawsuit led by Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik contends that mail-in voting violates New York's Constitution. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The city of Poughkeepsie elected its first black mayor this week. The Legislative Gazette's Jesse King was there and filed this report. 
Fifth Ward Councilmember Yvonne Flowers clinched a decisive victory Tuesday night, defeating Republican Anthony LaRocca in each of the city's eight wards for roughly 68 percent of the vote. Flowers, who first beat incumbent Mayor Mark Nelson in June's Democratic primary, will become the city's third mayor in two years. Flowers received Nelson's endorsement and the backing of other city lawmakers, many of whom attended the Democrats' watch party at Refinery 51. In her victory speech, Flowers described a tiring and contentious campaign, but she urged her supporters to put the race behind them. We have a lot of work ahead of us. We already see the challenges that are in our, our city, and now it's time to pull together and make that happen. You look in this room and you see a diverse group of people yes. in here. And it is time that we start getting rid of that, get rid of that divide in our city. No more this north side, south side thing. LaRocca is a government and criminal justice teacher at Our Lady of Lords High School. In a statement to WAMC, LaRocca thanked his supporters and his students for helping him through his campaign. He says he plans to form a coalition of those who voted for him to continue fighting, quote, one-party rule in Poughkeepsie, adding, quote, I want to say publicly that politicians who are committed to personal causes are dangerous to the residents of the city of Poughkeepsie, end quote. Both candidates ran on platforms that emphasized public safety, but they differed in their approaches. LaRocca said he wanted to increase the police department budget and particularly expressed concern about the Common Council's failure to vote on an updated memorandum of agreement to retain and recruit officers. He says without approving the agreement and providing officers with incentive to stay, the city police force could lose a dangerous amount of its staff. Flowers' approach, meanwhile, emphasized a need to better coordinate social services offered by the county to address homelessness, mental illness, and the opioid epidemic. Figure out who's go actually going to win for the county executive, start getting ready to prepare to sit down and meet with them, and figure out how we're moving forward with the homeless shelter and how we're going to address the issues that happen on our street right now. Because our people need to feel safe, but we also need to make sure that individuals have the services they need. Former Republican State Senator Sue Serino won the race for Dutchess County Executive Tuesday, defeating Democrat Tommy Sir Helen. Many council members, including Flowers, have said they were largely kept in the dark on the mayor's deal with the Poughkeepsie PBA until recently. Councilors have said they want to consider how the agreement might impact the city's 2024 budget before voting on it. Mayor Nelson has submitted a budget plan that would increase property taxes by 6.3 percent, requiring the council to override the state's property tax cap for the first time in nearly a decade. The council has not yet voted on the matter. Looking at the city's only other contested race Tuesday, third ward common council member Evan Menace won a third term by turning back a challenge from Republican Victor Fate. Menace, the Democrat, calls it a validating win. I'm looking forward to keeping the work going, and I'm really excited about Yvonne Flowers' victory tonight. It's a huge win. Uh, it really shows she has an incredible mandate. She won in every single ward in the city of Poughkeepsie. Uh, we have an incredibly united city and incredibly united city government going into next year. There's so much work to do for the people of the city of Poughkeepsie, and I'm ready to get to work to do it. Flowers is a lifelong resident of Poughkeepsie who has spent four terms representing the Fifth Ward. The daughter of the late John Flowers, a celebrated community organizer and carpenter in the city, Flowers touts a long history of community outreach and credits her family with inspiring her to get into politics. Flowers' brother Frankie says he couldn't be prouder. The one thing I, I just I want to make sure that people don't expect miracles, you know, because Yvonne is she's a human being. But what I want to really see from this is everyone learning from this experience and everyone playing their part in this role of Poughkeepsie. Like everyone has to play their part. If everyone plays their part, puts a little bit in, we're gonna get a we're gonna get a great outcome. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jesse King.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. This week, I sat down for a conversation with New York State Inspector General Lucy Lang, and she began by talking about how her office trains other agencies of state government to meet protocols and other requirements to avoid issues like fraud and abuse. We've created for the first time ever the role of director of training, and that staffer is working with every investigator, every auditor, and every lawyer in our office to identify agencies that need training and to hone trainings that are specifically for those. We train every incoming class of corrections officers in the Department of Corrections. We have now that we are about two years into our new jurisdiction over gaming in New York State. We have trained every member of the Gaming Commission across the state. We are out working with uh, members of the Workers' Compensation Board. We are working with the Bridge Authority, with the Parks Department, with every agency under our jurisdiction to make sure that folks are both aware of their obligations under the state executive law, aware of the ethical constraints on their positions, and that they know that we're available to report and to report anonymously where they see wrongdoing. I read, I believe it was in the Times Union somewhere, that the, may have been Spectrum News, forgive me if I'm getting that source wrong, but it was in the news, that gaming complaints are up considerably. They are. Are we talking about now because of the online aspect of gaming, or is it just gaming in general? Of course, the gaming industry, as you say, has expanded with the presence of online mobile sports betting. It may also be that moving the gaming inspector general out from the gaming commission and into the offices of the inspector general has created a kind of line that people are responding to. But I also believe that it is the work of our deputy IG for gaming going out on the ground, working at racetracks and casinos to train people. We've really done a tremendous amount of outreach, and I'm grateful to the gaming staff for having done that. That could also be a form of trauma, couldn't it, if someone has a gambling addiction that may find its way right into some staff of an agency that could cause problems, not only with their own funds, but with public funds. You know, David, we are talking to some of our partner agencies, the Office for Addiction Support, and also to some of the industries like the NFL, where we see problem gambling and thinking about how we might be able to create resources and better support people who are suffering from gambling addiction, because we certainly do see that as the industry is expanding, the attendant problems are expanding as well. And one of the things we talked about last time you were here, Lucy Lang, State Inspector General of New York, was the idea that you were going to look more at systemic problems than rather trying to do the gotcha game of getting maybe one individual who is ultimately a symptom of a larger issue. And you've been looking at one of the agencies, the Department of Corrections, I know, looking at abuses from COVID policies, fraud, And there are some pretty galling cases, but talk a little more about the systemic part of this and what kind of examples are involved here. Well, we spoke a few months ago about our report identifying widespread abuses of workers' compensation in the Department of Corrections. And the contract that enables that abuse is currently under review. So our hope is that New Yorkers will call for changes to create guardrails to help curtail those abuses. And the abuses can include up to 40 percent of correction staff being out on workers' compensation at a facility at a time, which means that incarcerated people are limited in the programming that they're able to access and, of course, that staff are working double and triple shifts at the expense of their family and their own well-being. And the systemic part of that, wouldn't part of that be why is the prison system a place where so many people are trying to get off of working? And how do we fix that problem? 
That's absolutely right. And it's one of the reasons that we've really committed to working alongside the Department of Corrections and visiting all of the stakeholders who have something to say about the challenges the correction system is facing right now at this moment of criminal justice reform when there are increasing calls for changes in conditions and for decreasing the criminal justice footprint statewide. Let's at least share one case. The doc's staffer who submitted dozens of forged doctor's notes to obtain her sick leave. That's a case that was not a workers' compensation case, but an outright fraud case. And so we see that not just in docs, but in other facilities as well. And one of the reasons that we committed to and have followed through on publishing all of the letters that we provide to our jurisdictional agencies in the time since I took office is to identify where there are patterns across agencies. And we just this morning published about 13 recently sent letters that included the use of forged doctor's notes, the use of forged time cards. And we are really committed to those specific cases, making sure that folks are held accountable, but also that all of the state agencies are putting into practice the kind of protocols that prevent Mm. the abuse of the system that comes at a cost to New Yorkers. Is there an average time from, let's say, complaint to full-on investigation when it comes to something like this? I mean, I know you probably have to verify that the complaint is legit and you have to follow certain protocols, as you said. So is there some sort of time frame that you look at when you say almost like a lawyer's investigation, right, in a case? How long will this take from lip to cup? Well, I came from a district attorney's office where we had the uh, constraint of six days to present a case to a grand jury after someone was arrested if they were held in. And the speed here is very different because we are usually dealing with a far pre-arrest investigation. That said, we do an interdisciplinary assessment of every complaint within a week of receipt. And then within the week or two following that, the team, which includes a member of leadership, assesses whether or not there is merit to the complaint, whether it's something that should be sent back to the agency for further analysis, whether it's something that more properly belongs in the state's kind of HR jurisdiction, or whether it warrants the full open of an investigation. And our investigations can last from a month on something that's cut and dry and focused on an individual person to, unfortunately, to several years where we identify that there may be more widespread misconduct or where we find that we need to obtain a great deal of additional documentary evidence. That's New York State Inspector General Lucy Lang. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Saratoga Springs Republicans gained power for the first time in years in Tuesday's election, unseating the mayor and embattled Democratic Public Safety Commissioner. The Legislative Gazette's Aaron Shello Levine reports. Republican Party backed Tim Cole, unseated first term Democrat Jim Montagnino also beating independent Kristen Dart. Cole, also on the one Saratoga line, finished with more than 4,000 votes, while Montagnino placed third with under 2,000, bringing a rocky tenure to a close. 
Speaking to WAMC at the Republican Election Returns Party, Montagnino said he is prepared to help Cole hit the ground running. I'm happy for Tim Cole. He, he fought a very clean race. There were no, no dirty tricks on his part at all. It was all above board for him. Uh, I'm going to assist in any way I possibly can with the transition. He's welcome in our office all day, every day if he wants to. Uh, look through all the files, get to, get to know everybody. Uh, I'll do everything I can to, to make it a seamless transition for him. Friction between Montagnino and city Democrats boiled over in the closing days of the race. The Saratoga Democratic Committee pulled its endorsement of Montagnino Monday following his endorsement of GOP mayoral candidate John Safford and a mailer critics labeled as racist, which Montagnino denied. Dart was endorsed by the other four Democrats on the city council in September. When the dust settled, first-term Democratic Mayor Ron Kim and Montagnino had both been unseated after months of feuding between the one-time allies. Speaking with WAMC shortly after conceding, Dart said she's proud to have received nearly 2,400 votes as an independent. I said in my speech that running for office is hard, so I, you know, commend Tim Cole for running and you know he I think that he can has the opportunity to be a good leader in our community and he's coming in at a time when there is a lot of tension and a critical eye on how the city is operating at multiple levels and I hope that he is coming in with the intentionality of building community. Dart also chairs the city's civilian review board and served on the city's state-mandated police reform task force. Democratic committee chair Otis Maxwell disagrees with the characterization by Republicans that Tuesday's election was a referendum on the lack of political diversity in city politics. I'm not sure that I would characterize it as that. We've, you know, we've steadily had our, our roles of Democrats increasing in the city, so it is logical that the Democrats would win races where there is a majority vote. I think that this was a unique race. I don't think that we can say there is a general desire for more diversity. At the same time, you know, Republicans have every right to have their voice heard. Speaking with WAMC shortly after the race was called in his favor, Cole, a retired FBI agent, reiterated his plans to return civility to city council meetings, which have been disrupted this term by Black Lives Matter demonstrations. First and foremost, I, I, will, I will treat everyone uh, even if I disagree with them, with professionalism and respect and dignity. Cole continued. Yeah, well, I think it starts with treating everyone equally, including uh, my fellow council members and whoever the mayor is going to be. I think you need to set that example for the rest of the community, and that's what I intend to do. Cole has discussed some plans to return order to city council meetings, like bringing a sergeant of arms to remind attendees of the rules and regulations of council meetings. Reporting for the Southern Adirondack Bureau on the campus of Skidmore College, this is Aaron Shello Levine. Ulster County Democrats celebrated the re-election of Kingston Mayor Steve Noble and a close victory in the race for district attorney Tuesday night. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard was there. Mayor Steve Noble, come on up! Between towering brewing equipment at Keegan Ailes in Kingston, the city's two-term mayor celebrated his election to another four years. Steve Noble, a Democrat who was chosen by a nearly 2-1 margin over challenger Scott Denny, says the Hudson Valley City is on the right path. 
We're moving the city forward with really amazing zoning. We're working on our housing issues. We're rebuilding our infrastructure. Uh, we are treating everyone with respect and dignity here in the city of Kingston. And we are a community uh, that is on the right trajectory. Looking ahead to his third term, Noble said he's ready to begin work on redeveloping the city's waterfront, an effort that is being supported by a $22 million federal grant. We're really excited to get that project underway at $22 million. That's the largest grant we've ever received. And so that's an exciting project that I'm excited to be able to put my attention to. Noble also offered some words for his opponent. But, you know, I know how hard it is to run for office, and so anyone that's willing to uh, throw their name in and uh, be put out in the public spotlight, I, you know, always give them a lot of credit. Denny, a registered Democrat who ran against Noble with Republican endorsement, issued a lengthy statement calling attention to the issues of crime, a lack of affordable housing, homelessness, and drug abuse. He also criticized Noble for a lack of transparency. With more than 5,000 ballots cast in a city with 24,000 residents, Denny lamented the low voter turnout. He said in part, quote, Residents are clearly very unhappy with where we are today and appear to have given up, end quote. It was nearly two hours after Noble declared victory when Democratic Ulster County District Attorney candidate Manny Nagy took to the stage. After edging Republican hopeful Mike Cavanaugh by 195 votes, in the countywide contest. Cronyism is not supposed to have a place in the judicial process. What we see here today, what is happening today, is an affirmation that such behavior does not belong in our judicial system. Kavanaugh says the race to replace one-term Democratic DA David Clegg is too close to call. In an off-year election, Democrats had a strong showing in Ulster County. Running unopposed, Democratic County Executive Jen Metzger gave remarks that were echoed by down-ballot candidates later in the evening. We are going to be a model for showing the rest of the state, and I like to say the rest of the country, how we create a resilient, sustainable thriving Ulster County that leaves no one behind, right? That's our, that's our goal. Reporting from Kingston, I'm Lucas Willard. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. To the North Country, where Republicans and Democrats from across Clinton County gathered at their respective watch parties Tuesday night to await election results. While many races were uncontested, a few were competitive. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley has more. Clinton County Republicans gathered at the American Legion in Morrisonville to await results. Five of the ten seats on the county legislature were up for election this year. Four were unopposed. In the contested Area 5 race, Republican Kevin Randall beat Democrat Rick Hazen 56 to 42 percent. Randall said he had a lot of support in the race, in part because he has spent the last four years serving as supervisor of the town of Schuyler Falls. Now that I've been town supervisor, I realize how important it is for our legislators to work with the town supervisor. 
there's not one more uniquely qualified to know what's going on in their town. And working together, I don't think there's anything that we couldn't do. I don't know if I can help at the state or federal level, but I will do my best at the county level to do whatever I can to help the residents of Clinton County. With Randall winning, the legislature will retain an even Republican-Democrat split. Chair Republican Mark Henry, who was unopposed in his Area 3 race, says the board works on a bipartisan basis. We work together. We know what the issues are. We do a lot of committee work, and we always seem to get to where we need to go for the best of the folks of the county. Democrats from across the county crowded a bar in the city of Plattsburgh to wait for results. There were two common council ward races in the city. Ward 2 Democrat Jacob Avery ran unopposed and will replace retiring Democrat Mike Kelly. In Ward 5, incumbent Democrat Caitlin Bopp also decided not to run for re-election. The contested race shows Democrat David Monette winning with 66% of the vote to Republican Barry Finnegan's 33%. While waiting for results Tuesday evening, Monette said his focus would be assuring the city stays fiscally sound. For me, the budget is one of the biggest things. I've always thought like it's one of the biggest things that you can have is your neighbors putting trust in you with their money. So I think that making sure that the city stays sound is probably one of the, the top issues for me. At the last city council meeting, some of the downtown businesses asked the council to reconsider the downtown hotel development project. Right. Would you want to reconsider that project? Definitely. Would it be great to have a hotel downtown? Yes. It would, you know, be a boon for the businesses, and that's probably why they brought that up. We just have to make sure that however it's negotiated it is something that's favorable for the city as far as the terms. Finnegan said there were a few issues that motivated him to run his first campaign. Mainly the Crate Center really grabbed my attention. That hurt my feelings when that building came down. Such a rich history. There's no way in the world you'll ever convince me that it was going to cost more to fix it than it is to tear it down. And that building should still be there. And what most people talk to me about is the waterfront property downtown, uh, whether there's going to be a hotel or not there. Um, that, that whole deal should be revisited, and there can be something with a great conclusion for the people of Plattsburgh. In the county clerk's race, Republican John Zerlow, who ran for re-election after holding the post for 28 years, was challenged by Democrat Brandy Lloyd. Unofficial results show Zerlow won 47 to 40 percent. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPInfo.org.